Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome to It's Complicated with me, Tanya Goodin. The podcast to help you untangle your relationship with your phone. This is a podcast about learning to live healthily and happily with technology and the digital world and understanding why sometimes that's so hard to do. I'm your host, Tanya Goodin, author and founder of digital wellbeing movement, Time to Log Off. Each week, I'll be asking a new guest how they can help us with the relationship with the tiny tyrant in our pocket, our smartphone. I've got an absolutely brilliant episode for you this week. I'm chatting with Silky Carlo, who is director of British Civil Liberties NGO Big Brother Watch. Big Brother Watch has been campaigning to stop the rollout of facial recognition cameras in the UK by both public and private sector organisations. In their report, Face Off, in 2019, they said facial recognition cameras have the potential to turn CCTV cameras into identity checkpoints, creating a world where citizens are intensively watched and tracked. I'm chatting to Silky about why facial recognition surveillance is a threat to our civil liberties, when and how it's happening, and why we should deeply care about it. So Silky, it's fantastic to have you on the podcast. Welcome. I've been so looking forward to talking to you about this subject ever since I watched Coded Bias, the Netflix documentary, which I thought was utterly brilliant, and realised that this whole area of facial recognition tech seems to me like it's really going under the radar for the general public. Obviously, you're really focusing on it. Big Brother Watch, you're campaigning to stop the rollout of facial recognition cameras, which is happening not only in areas like the police, the Met in London, and in private companies. For those of us who are listening and really don't understand what facial recognition tech is and what the difference is between this and CCTV, which we've got used to, you know, all around the place. Can you just explain really briefly kind of 101, what facial recognition tech and cameras are, and then why you're worried about them? Yeah, absolutely. And first, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. And you're right, this issue has gone under the radar. And partly that's because some of the people operating facial recognition, like the police, have deliberately wanted it to go under the radar. And it can do that because, as you say, it 
can look very much just like uh, CCTV, where you think a camera is just passively recording an area and then the footage can be retrieved afterwards. But facial recognition is light years away from that because it's actually actively analysing the people in the image and in particular your face. There are different types of facial recognition, but essentially uh, the technology creates a biometric piece of data from your face so that's like taking a fingerprint or taking dna the spaces between different features on your face can create a map like a a face print that can uniquely identify you so there's various different ways in which this can work one that we're really worried about is live facial recognition where you have an algorithm running in real time on what looks like a CCTV camera that seeks to identify people as they walk past a camera. But actually, another form of facial recognition called retrospective facial recognition, i.e. going back in time to look at a camera feed to identify people in that feed, can also be incredibly dangerous as well, because by doing that, unless you've got really serious protections on it, you, you could create a map of everyone all the time, where they go, who with... It's really one of the most seriously incredible, intrusive and and dangerous surveillance tools that there are in the modern world. I read somewhere, and it might well have been on your website, that estimates are that certainly in the US, a half of all adults have their faces already in a facial recognition system. Do you know what the comparable stats are for here? How much have we been invaded by this technology without being aware of it? Many people already use facial recognition in different contexts. So, you know, some people use it to unlock their phone. Some people use it on their passport and have biometric passports. And I think there are areas where either you have high control or high expectation of security that giving a biometric with the right safeguards can seem like a proportionate thing to do. But what's worrying is that in so many other contexts there's no safeguards whatsoever and there's no attention on the issues so for example when police forces in britain started using live facial recognition in 2016 they were doing it with apparently not a very high level of authorization no political awareness no relevant legislation explicitly governing the use of facial recognition not much media awareness And so we've had to really fight tooth and nail to even get to a point where, to be honest, you know, you can even have, you know, Netflix documentaries and podcasts talking about the issue because, as you say, you know, it really has gone overlooked. And were they able to go under the radar because, like in so many areas, the legislation has lagged the tech? So all our kind of privacy isn't covered by facial recognition. Is that why it's been able to be implemented without any kind of big discussion? I think that's right. There are a few factors, but yeah, it's certainly the case that we don't have a piece of law in the UK that has the words facial recognition in it. There's never been a full debate in the House of Commons about facial recognition. A lot of ministers don't really know or understand what it is, and a lot of politicians aren't interested. Even though this is an enormous expansion of the surveillance state, it's a rights-altering technology that will actually change the relationship between citizen and the state and the type of country in which we live. I mean, it really does have the potential 
to have such an enormous impact if we don't get control of it and decide the way that it's going to be used. And I think most members of the public don't really want police to be doing basically secretive identity checks on them as they walk around the streets. I don't think people want their kids to be facially recognised in schools. A lot of the ways in which authorities and companies, you know, the, the, the co-ops... Uh, Why are the co-op introducing it? I was kind of baffled by that. Why would you want that in the co-op? Yes. It's a bit of a leap. I mean, it's not too much of a leap to understand why the police want it, but why the co-op? This is where we're in the territory of privatised policing, really. So there are 35 stores to date that we've identified are using facial recognition and they're all in the South. So we've got a full list on our website. You can see if one near you. They're around Hove, Portsmouth. There's a couple in, in London, but it's all in the South. They're Southern cooperative supermarkets. And they're using facial recognition with a company called Facewatch. Facewatch is interesting because they started out their business as a photo sharing company for like pubs and bars mainly. And if they had people that were banned, then they created a database where they shared the photos with nearby bars. They've then changed that into facial recognition. But you can do so much more with facial recognition. You can create this kind of automated blacklist so that if somebody goes into a shop and an alert goes off and a member of staff will go and ask that person to leave, bear in mind that this technology is also known for having really serious accuracy issues, issues that tend to be worse for women and worse for people of colour. So it's an ethics and human rights nightmare, and yet Southern Co-op is doing that. And and the reason I use the word privatised policing is because, of course, these aren't police photos, These are security staff and store managers' photos that they've selected based on suspicions that they have, but not of people who are actually formally suspected of a crime or necessarily have even been reported to the police. So it is really like automated, privatised policing where people can find themselves blacklisted from stores at a regional level without having been found guilty of any crime. I just want to um, go back to what you said about accuracy, because one of the things I found really shocking from your report, Face Off, was that in the Met's own stats, when they were analysing the success of the facial recognition tech they were using, they found it was 93% inaccurate. Mm. <laughs> and I actually had to read that a few times because I thought, no, I must that must be 93% accurate, so 7% mistake. I mean, why would you continue to use I, I'm baffled why you would use a technology that doesn't work to that degree that's a really good question but you know and I, I don't have the answer to it but it's not the only context in which we have seen police incompetence and I think also that there is magical thinking around some new and emerging technologies and public authorities the promise and the, the presentations and the sales pitches around AI, high tech, facial rec, automated. Lots of hype. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I think that they are just sticking with it and thinking, you know, the more that they use it, the more it's going to work, which has not proven true. I mean, the accuracy rates are still really bad. Every time the Metropolitan Police do a, a deployment of live facial recognition, 
I have to kind of stalk their Twitter accounts because that's the only way that you can find out. There's no advance warning. We rush down to go and observe and hand out leaflets and hold placards, etc. So they announce when they're doing it, do they, uh, on their Twitter feed? Yeah, well, see, here's yeah. the thing. They they can't, you know, different rules govern how you do surveillance in an overt way or a covert way. And the deployments we're talking about, obviously, if, if they're using it covertly, we wouldn't know. But there's quite a high threshold because we've got significant legal governance in the area of covert surveillance. But overt, we're really still in CCTV territory. So there's nothing particularly, you know, strongly governing how they use it. But they do have to tell you that they, they're using it which means that they'll put out a tweet on the day and say, oh, we're in central London today with facial recognition vans. And also that they have signs up in the area saying facial recognition in use. The idea that this is a technology that is going to catch fugitives is for the birds. But also in our experience, they're not the kind of people who are being put on these watch lists. Often you're seeing people being picked up for what seems to be quite low level crime. And the, the Met will put out press releases about serious and violent crime, but that certainly doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, recently someone was picked up for a road traffic offence with facial recognition. I thought there was a really chilling, a couple of really chilling scenes in Coded Bias, but one was when somebody had read the sign saying that facial recognition tech was in operation, decided he wanted to cover his face because he didn't want his face to be scanned, and then was pulled over by the police with a kind of assumption of guilt. You know, why would you not want your face scanned then? Why are you covering it? Um, and I found that horrifying. That you know, it, it just saying, actually, you, you've put these signs up, presumably you've put them up because we're allowed to opt in or, or opt out or avoid the area. And if I cover my face, I'm kind of avoiding it. And then why does that make me guilty? It's very Kafkaesque. I was there and I watched that happen. And I saw the police actually grab the man. And this mm. is just for pulling up his jumper over his chin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they were quite rough with him, weren't they? They really yeah. were. I mean, they physically grabbed him and pulled him over to a, a wall and then provoked him. Uh, and he used a swear word for which they then gave him a public order fine. Quite often in these circumstances, you see policing just become excessive as well. And you can't win. Another thing that happens on these deployments is that when I'm handing out leaflets to people, similarly, if somebody takes a leaflet and like me, or perhaps even you, will read it and say, I don't like this at all. I don't want to walk past it. I don't want to be part of it. And they turn around the other way. They have plainclothed officers around who on occasion have then gone and followed that person and stopped mm. them. So it becomes this really intensely policed, highly suspicious, I would say almost paranoid kind of area, despite yeah. the fact that logically this technology and with signs up everywhere is not going to catch serious criminals. And the technology doesn't even work very well. So it's a low moment for, for policing. And I, one thing I do hope is that with a new commissioner for the Metropolitan Police, there might be some fresh thinking about this and perhaps a different approach taken because we see in lots of other areas of the world and um, parts of America and Europe, very different uh, views. It's been banned, hasn't it? Yes. I mean, there are some cities in the US, I think it's San Francisco and Boston, two cities that have completely banned it. Yeah. Do you think that's not happening in the UK just because of lack of public awareness? Yes, I do think. I mean, I think actually there's more public awareness than there is political awareness yeah. and I think in when we were really trying to provoke the conversation was during Brexit and there's been so many other things going on that I think this has fallen by the wayside 
and, and also the police stopped using it during the pandemic. But in fact, the day after the mask mandate was dropped in late January, the Metropolitan Police were, were out the next day using live facial recognition. So we, we're going to really try to get this on the political map again this year and get politicians to sit up and care and think about it. Ultimately, we do need a ban. We need a ban on live facial recognition because we've written extensively about this. Many experts, tech policy people, human rights people, are we all in agreement that there is no way that you can use live facial recognition in a public place that respects human rights. It simply is a rights-altering technology that is inherently a mass surveillance tool. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Talking of surveillance, actually, there's a, there was a piece in The Guardian this week about facial recognition technology in schools in... Scotland, I think it's in Ayrshire, because I think The Guardian said it is actually banned in schools in England and Wales, but not in Scotland. And it said, I'm just quoting from The Guardian, it said, this facial recognition tech can be used to assess classroom engagement, mood, attentiveness and behaviour. And one of the suppliers uh, of the tech advertises it scans children's faces every three months and its algorithm constantly evolves to match the child's growth and change of appearance. I mean, I think I got chills when I read that, of horror, of I've the thought- I've got chills listening to it. Yeah, <laughs> yes. of the thought of my child or anyone's child being scanned for signs of attentiveness and behavior in a class. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just horrifying, isn't it? It really is. And 
we often see that the facial recognition technologies come with lots of add-ons and bolt-ons as well mm. about other types of proactive algorithmic analysis. There's no need for facial recognition in schools at all. In Scotland, we, we wrote to every school that was using facial recognition and each of them has now paused it. I'm glad oh, to say. Is this all the ones in Scotland? Uh, right yes. All of those? Oh, yeah. fantastic. Uh, and they yeah. have paused their use and the uh, information commissioner w- was in touch with them as well. And regrettably, it's not actually banned per se in England. We've heard as well on the grapevine that the Department for Education is currently developing guidance for schools about facial recognition, which is quite Mm. worrying because... It's a long way away from a ban. It's a long way from a ban, exactly. And there's just no need for it. There are many, many concerns about this. One is that, well, it's just not necessary. Two is that you're training children to give away really sensitive biometric data at the drop of a hat. For They're using it for things like paying for your school lunch. We've all paid for our school lunches without facial recognition. It's not necessary. And we should be teaching children. You know, people growing up now are going to live in a very different world to any of us who are over 25 even. You know, we should be teaching them that that data is precious and you have rights over it and control over it and to be careful about how you use it, where you give it, etc. That's what about consent? We're teaching them about consent really heavily in schools, aren't we? And where's their consent to any of this? Exactly. And also, you know, in the context of a school environment, it's quite difficult to get genuinely informed consent because the children have no real power and they have no real agency. And, you know, for something that's administrative, like buying their lunch, they've really just got to kind of do what they're told. So it's really worrying. And, And the rest of this stuff about the facial analysis, attentiveness, etc. It also imposes a lot of normalisation on children, that they should all look a certain way, learn a certain way, Mm. behave in a certain way, that just doesn't reflect reality and could end up discriminating against children who might have learning disabilities or be neurodivergent in some way. It actually encapsulates the problems that you have with, with excessive surveillance very well in that when people are being watched, they do feel deep pressure to conform. And for people who can't or don't fall within the the bounds of normality in the same way or, or simply have a personality and are expressive or you know don't fit into certain molds it can be a deeply oppressive thing it's not just a camera sitting in a corner when surveillance goes wrong when it's over the top it can inhibit internal freedom and you certainly see that you you see that in every surveillance state that has ever existed and you certainly see it in places like you know for instance china today i was just thinking of china actually when i read the thing out of, from the guardian because i don't know how many listeners are aware but china have been testing in certain regions of china social credit score you probably know about this silky which is based on you know citizens behavior uh, a lot of it is facial scan connected their behavior is monitored and then they're allowed, they're permitted to do things like, you know, drive a car, send an email, take part in certain events based on how high their social credit score is. Absolutely chilling, big brother stuff. It's only in some areas of China, but they're talking about rolling it out. But yeah, it does make you think of real, you know, conformity, doesn't it? Everybody's sitting in little rows and boxes, all terrified of misbehaving. Absolutely. And facial recognition is key to it because 
you can change usernames, email addresses, passwords. You can't change your face. Face, yeah. It's a very good identifier for people, and it's it's often at the heart of any digital ID system. Is that just by using someone's face, you basically have a barcode for them. And if you live in an environment of mass surveillance, that person can be tracked all the time. And also their social networks can be mapped because you can see the other faces that they're with and all, all sorts of other information. So, yeah, I mean, it also uncontrolled facial recognition can provide the backbone for a very invasive digital ID system, too. Of course, we all gave up that data to Facebook a few years ago when they were doing photo recognition which they've now disabled. Do you remember? I mean, it's a few years since they've disabled it. But yeah, I remember feeling deeply uneasy about that, that all your photos in your photo album were being scanned and they were saying, oh, this is your friend, Silky, this is Tanya, you know, which looks like a terribly helpful thing to do for your photos. But actually, somewhere they've got a massive database. Or have they said they've destroyed all those photos? Do you know what happened when they disabled that? The, the biometrics had to be disabled for Europe. Um, for GDPR. In, yeah. yeah, because of uh, GDPR, which British government has just said that they want to rip up our data protection laws in the, in the Queen's speech. Did they um, say that yesterday? I missed that. Yes, oh. yeah. And this whole programme for reforming data laws here now that we have Brexited, which I don't mm. think is why many people voted for Brexit, but there you go. They so did, they're but... still doing it in the US? They're, they still do facial scans on photos in the US, do, do they? you know, I don't know. I, I think it may be an opt-in situation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I haven't followed closely what's going on in the US because our work is just in, in the UK. But in an interesting development, there is a company called Clearview AI, which unfortunately, even if Facebook practices have gotten better around facial recognition, they've made up and then some for that change because how this company operates is by scraping all visible photos on the internet to create a mega facial recognition search engine, basically, which is really controversial, of course, really dangerous. So all our photos are there already then? Yeah, we've all got pictures, haven't we, of ourselves on the internet? Yes, yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's the extraordinary thing most of us do. It's Mm. estimated that for around every citizen on the internet, Clearview AI has around 20 photos. You can ask them to delete your photos, but in order to do that, of course, you have to send them a photo so that they can run it on the facial recognition database and find you. Just recently, the ACLU in America, the American Civil Liberties Union, reached a settlement with Clearview AI. They were in litigation and have managed to curb some of their activities over there. But yes, I mean, it's an issue here too. We worked some journalists on this it was a couple of years ago or a year ago perhaps now who had accessed clearview ai in the uk and we did find that there were a number of police forces that had accessed it and incredibly some universities as well and here's the thing i mean yes of course you would hope that a university wouldn't use this very powerful tool but we need to make sure we've got proper laws and safeguards in place so that that is not just a hope but a really strict reality because we all have really extensive digital footprints Mm. and it would be incredibly unfair if prospective employers or academic institutions etc could search for applicants and then dig up all of their teenage facebook photos or youtube videos or whatever it is to make a judgment about them so 
two questions. Should we be wary of things like, I mean, I unlock my smartphone with my face. I do use face ID. Should I stop doing that? And what can we do if we're concerned about this technology? What is the best thing for us to do as citizens? How can we make our feelings known? And also how can we take, you know, evasive action for want of a better phrase yeah (laughs) well yeah first of all on how should we be using facial recognition it's a good question and it really depends on your own lifestyle and your own risks I personally would not use it but I do appreciate that Apple for example the way that they store the data is quite safe they say it's only stored on the device don't they they make a big thing about saying we don't upload that yeah it's only stored locally but I mean it's yeah it's important to be to, to to bear in mind that there will be mission creep around these areas so um for example you might have seen more cameras at supermarket self checkouts they want to do uh, facial age detection, for example, and there will be a connection to the phone with that. So there's mission creep in this area, and that's why I think it's important for everyone to just make that decision and, and set your boundaries. If you're someone who goes to protests and demonstrations, and of course, as we we do, and we monitor policing as well at Big Brother Watch, then there are extra considerations because, of course, a, a phone holds a lot of confidential information, sensitive contacts. If you're a journalist, you might have whistleblowers, sources, etc. And like us, if you work in human rights, you have to protect that stuff. And if someone can simply hold the phone up to your face to unlock it, that's a problem. So for some people, it's just not advisable. In terms of what do we do about this enormous surveillance expansion and and facial recognition in the UK, of course, I would say follow Big Brother Watch on social media and, you know, subscribe to our emails, consider getting involved. We're on absolutely on the front line of, of pushing back against this. We do all sorts. One thing that we, we are encouraging people to do is if you hear us saying, oh, facial recognition is being used in a certain area that you're near, come and say hello, come and tell the police what you think, because mm-hmm. we're really managing to... Um, make our presence strongly felt at these deployments now which is good even with just a handful of us but it really counts and being able to observe how it's really working in reality is so important because if you're not there you just hear a a totally different story and voting with our feet as well southern co-op supermarkets there's a clothes store called flannels that has just started using live facial recognition we haven't published yet but we will uh, talk more about that soon if you see that facial recognition is being used somewhere think twice about whether you want to go in there why should you be treated like you're part of a police lineup when you're giving them your custom you're not a criminal you don't serve to be treated with suspicion all, all the time. And I think it's important that we are giving, whether it's public authorities or private companies, it's important that we are giving them that kind of feedback. Because really what's hanging in the balance here is the future of the country that we live in and what kind of environment we want to live in. If we're not careful, we hurtle towards the kinds of surveillance architecture that you see in China or Russia. And we've got to be more careful than that. And that means that each of us has to engage with the issues as well and make our our views heard. And you said that politicians are kind of uniquely ignorant of this area. Should we be contacting our MPs? How do we make parliamentarians know that we feel strongly about this? 
Is it through you or can we do that individually? Well, we, we did have a petition going on facial recognition, but now that the Metropolitan Police Commissioner has um, stood down, we think there's a, a real, really a fresh chance yeah, fresh pair um, of eyes exactly yeah, yeah. and to, to have another go at this and try to have a proper conversation about it so certainly if you're at all interested in this area please do subscribe to our, our emails and we will send out action alerts email your mps petitions etc we're not going to stop this is such a high priority for us i don't think you can have a a group that protects privacy in the uk that's that that could do anything less than uh, fight to the end on on live facial recognition because the consequences really are grave. So yeah, we will fight this campaign until we win. I find this so fascinating and chilling as a subject. I could I could carry on talking to you about this for a very long time, but I just want to wrap up with two questions that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast. I'm going to be really fascinated to hear what you say. Have you got three words you could give me that sum up your own relationship with tech? Uh, I'm mentally imagining what they are as your your thinking. Yeah, the first one that comes to mind is conflicted. And the other one is, this is more like word association, I think, for me. And another one is oppressed. And the, and the third one is hopeful. And that probably explains the first one. Yeah, I'm really, I'm very happy to hear the last one, though. I, I thought you were going to say suspicious or cynical or distrusting or... Why hopeful, then? Because what? I, I mean, as as a human rights campaigner in in the area of technology obviously we focus on the dangers and the risks there is a negative focus of course because you're looking for the risks and how to mitigate them but i'm i'm hopeful and fascinated about how humanity can prevail through these risks i'm in the other part of my life fascinated about things like space travel and other types of technology but yeah i mean i think the dawn of artificial intelligence in particular things like Neuralink and freedom of thought I think that's where the crisis level really rises and and I'm concerned about how we will navigate new technologies like that in in anything like a safe way certainly a you know precarious uh, moment as a species at enormous crossroads but if you don't have hope then What's the point? <laughs> yeah, might as well give up. And we're yeah. not doing that. Neither of us are doing no. that. And finally, what have you learned about yourself from your relationship with your smartphone? I think, like everyone, a smartphone is a... It, it's a trap. It's a, a void. But it also gives you, you know humor and insight learning connectivity i'm learning greek on my phone at the moment you know i'm doing things that i wouldn't uh otherwise be able to do or have the time to do but yeah i mean i was really resistant smartphones i was one of the last people to get an internet connected phone in my social group i could kind of see what was going to happen and that i was going to end up being glued to it and Mm -hmm. i do fantasize one day about throwing it off a bridge and not having anything to do with it anymore. <laughs> so like most of us, I think, yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with it, which is a reflection of, I think, how we probably all feel as well about our own self-discipline and productivity and all the modern trappings. Yeah, absolutely. So how can people find you and Big Brother, Brother Watch? Give us some URLs, Yes. Instagram, Twitter, where are you? Where can we find you? 
We are bigbrotherwatch.org.uk. We are Big Brother Watch on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. We are at Big Brother Watch. And I'm at Silky Carlo on Twitter as well. But yeah, definitely the best way to, to find out about major developments in tech and human rights issues and civil liberties issues like facial recognition is to sign up to our mailing list. And we always make sure that subscribers are the first people to know about what's going on, what's coming and how to get involved in our campaigns. And which co-ops to avoid. Yes, exactly. <laughs> 35 of them, yes. This podcast is not going to be sponsored by Co-op, no. No. I think I can rule that out. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's Complicated. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps new people find us, and it means you get a helpful notification whenever a new episode drops. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And my latest book, My Brain Has Too Many Tabs Open, is available at Amazon and at all good bookshops. Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.